Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Kmart. It's a study in incompetence, avarice, and greed. Welcome to episode 47 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Kmart. It was Friday evening on January 10th, 2003. Eddie Lampert, billionaire hedge fund investor and chairman of Sears, left his office around 7.30 p.m. and was on his way to go meet his wife and mother at a nearby restaurant. He had spent weeks working on a restructuring plan for Sears, which included the possibility of the acquisition of Kmart. He had to decide whether he would indeed combine the two companies, and with the deadline of the following Monday fast approaching, time was running short. Perhaps because he was so deep in thought, he didn't realize at the time that he was being followed. And then suddenly, while walking through the underground parking garage of the building, Lambert was apprehended by four gunmen. They covered his head with a thick hood and forced him into the backseat of a Ford SUV. An hour later, he would find himself in a motel, blindfolded, hands and feet bound by handcuffs. His abductors told him that they had been hired to kill him, and they rattled off all the things they knew about Lambert, where he lived, his net worth, the names of his office mates, and more, making it all too clear that this wasn't some random stick-up job. When they asked him to record a final message to his wife, he acquiesced. But over the course of the next 39 hours, he managed to convince his kidnappers that he was worth more alive than dead, and that if let go, he would hand over $5 million in cash. By 2 a.m. on Sunday, the kidnappers dropped Lambert off on a freeway ramp. But instead of going to the bank, he walked to the police station to report what had occurred. He had a lot of time to think while he was held captive. Many things would run through someone's mind. Their fate, what they would do if they got out of such a life-changing ordeal. But hours after Lambert arrived home, he made a call to the executives at Kmart that would alter the destiny of two major corporations. 
he decided then that he was going to acquire Kmart. Welcome to the story of Kmart. From blue light special to candlelight vigil. Man, back in the day, Kmart was a special place. There was one right by Francis Lewis High School, which was my high school in Queens, New York. And after school, we would usually go to the pool hall, the movie theaters, or just hang out at Kmart. And we would walk around, look at makeup, look through CDs and DVDs, get snacks. They had just about everything. And I remember back then, it was this brightly lit and big open space the kind that was inviting us to walk through the aisles and look at stuff. And then I went off to college and found out that on one of my trips home a few years later, that Kmart was gone. I remember reading in the Queen's Chronicle that Kmart had filed for bankruptcy and the article had quotes from locals. Locals who obviously didn't share my high school experience of Kmart because these people were voicing their scathing disapproval of Kmart, hoping they would leave. By then, apparently everyone had grown tired of the massive retail chain, with complaints of the stores being dirty, poorly kept, and just not a nice place to shop at. And as time rolled on and more stores began to close, it became evident that there was a prevailing dislike of Kmart all across America. It finally seemed that their time had come and gone. The story of Kmart started over a century ago when Pennsylvania native S.S. Kresge, a young traveling salesman, met retail store pioneer Frank Winfield Woolworth. Mr. Woolworth and his Woolworth stores were already very well-known back then, turning impressive profits, selling nickel and dime items. So young Kresge would sell to all of Woolworth's 19 stores, and over those two years, developed a strong rapport with Mr. Woolworth, who became like a mentor to him and helped him understand the variety store business model. Kresge caught the entrepreneurial bug and within years invested 6,700 from his savings and started his very own nickel and dime store in Memphis. These stores would sell everyday items like stuff for the house, toys, clothing, kitchen items, and it would be offered at low prices. And it was so successful that he added a second store the following year. By 1912, Kresge had 85 locations. But what really set it over the edge was that Kresge took on a more daring approach than that of Woolworth. During World War I, Kresge experimented with his prices, raising them as high as a buck. And that really catapulted his success. The company was listed on the prestigious New York Stock Exchange. And by 1924, Kresge was worth $375 million dollars owning real estate from many of his stores, which at one time was as many as 600 across the nation. 
He went on to retire a year later and was succeeded by Harry Cunningham, who opened what was considered the first official Kmart store in San Fernando, California in 1962. It was supposed to be another Kresge store, but for whatever reason, very late in the planning process, it was then named Kmart, with the K presumably standing for Kresge. And some consider this to be where the Kmart story really began in this 27,000-square-foot store. Kmart was the first mover in the national discount retailer channel. They were originally a Kresge company, which was more or less a Woolworths slash five and ten cent retailer. And they created a format called Kmart, which offered a broad array of apparel and consumables and accessories and some hard lines in a largely suburban format. That's Mark Cohen. He's a professor at the Columbia University's Graduate School of Business, teaching retail leadership and fundamentals. He's had over 20 years experience as president, chairman, and CEO. Most notably, chairman and CEO of Sears Canada. So as Professor Cohen puts it, Kmart had first mover advantage, and as such, they were so popular that its stores continued to multiply through the 70s and 80s, opening its 2000th store by 1981 and crossing the U.S. border into Canada. There were key aspects that made Kmart so successful in its heyday. For one, Kmart had a lot of low-cost sourcing relationships with its vendors and manufacturers in China, India, Bangladesh, and they were able to pass these cost savings down to their consumers. The control of their supply chain enabled them to offer additional discounts and promotions that others at the time couldn't achieve. Another big attraction they had was known as the Blue Light Special. This was introduced into Kmart stores around the mid-60s, and it was advertised by a rotating blue light, very similar to flashing lights on ambulances and fire trucks. Followed by the loudspeaker announcement, Attention Kmart Shoppers. This iconic line that would become a pop culture touchstone in and of itself. The genesis of the Blue Light Special was an interesting idea as a way of inciting a customer who was already in the store for something else, something in particular, to shop part of the store they wouldn't have considered on that day. So a customer would go to Kmart to buy tube socks for their kids, and they would hear on the PA system the announcement of a Blue Light special in men's underwear. (laughs) Okay. So they were absolutely not in the store to consider buying men's underwear. But having been informed that there was a blue light special, complete with a uh, flashing blue beacon, in another part of the store, they would often check it out. So it was an interesting way to line extend the assortment of the store at large in the face of a customer who had already entered the store and was shopping for something else. People would literally wait for these specials to be announced and run around the stores grabbing whatever it was on sale until their time ran out. It was like the real-life version of that 90s TV hit series, Supermarket Sweep. 
This combination of already low prices and copious additional discounts was a winning one for the company. At its height, Kmart was the second largest retailer in the United States and operated 2,400 stores with 350,000 employees. The company was generating around $37 billion a year in sales, ranking second to Sears. But by 1990, Kmart would soon see its fortune begin to change, where the glow of its vaunted blue light special soon fading out of view. In November 1990, after decades of rivalry, fellow big box retailer Walmart surpassed Kmart in sales. To analysts and executives within the retail world, this was no surprise, as the decline of Kmart was speculated to have begun as early as the late 80s, which not coincidentally was when the shine and glamour began to wear off. It was about the time its consumers were beginning to notice the quality of Kmart's inventory. Although they had built a reputation of offering items at a lower price, as more competitors emerged into the market, it was becoming more apparent that what Kmart was offering was lower prices and lower quality. Then came competition. Although Kmart had initially outpaced its competitors, it would be during its most critical years that it would start losing its brand identity. Walmart had defined a target market for a specific demographic, having a no-frills store design, low prices on everything, and staying away from bigger, more expensive items like furniture and bed sheets. They were building an organization on price leadership, and they were able to do so with fewer and more strategically placed stores that were based in average middle-income household neighborhoods, whereas Kmart started in the most populated urban neighborhoods. And as more and more families began moving to the suburbs, Kmart was left with more stores than customers. Kmart went to sleep. Kmart rested on its laurels. Kmart was so taken with its success that it failed to view that there was competition coming up behind it. They were dismissive, they paid little attention, whereas Walmart was assiduously focused on locating its stores in the most attractive location in the marketplace. Kmart stuck with their original real estate footprint, and many of their stores migrated from the right side to the wrong side of town as populations shifted in communities and retail focus shifted geographically. On the other hand, Target was starting to embrace a more stylish vibe, catering to the fashion-conscious demographic that cared about prices, but placed a bit more emphasis on overall aesthetics, so having strong design appeal within the stores and on their products was important. It wasn't long before Kmart was pushed out of both of these categories. By trying to appeal to everyone, they ended up losing out to more specialized companies with carefully tailored strategies. As the saying goes, jack of all trades, master of none. Then came some bad investments. Instead of investing in its stores and its processes, it instead made some critical mistakes. Around the 1990s, while Kmart was trying to diversify itself, it began buying up retail chains. And it did so with the profits it made and the cash it had on hand. 
these acquisitions of companies didn't necessarily align with the brand, including the bookstore Borders, sporting goods store Sports Authority, and home improvement retailer Builders Square. One thing all three have in common, they don't exist anymore. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. They had a substantial amount of free cash flow, and they felt as if diversification was the most correct strategy for them for the future. Up until very recently, Walmart and Target have not engaged in any of that. They've, they've reinvested the success of their business in their business. So Kmart let their stores become increasingly shabby and threadbare, and their real estate portfolio, uh, which had been brilliantly created, increasingly outmoded, and directed their financial capacity toward acquiring sporting goods chain, uh, bookstore chain, a whole host of other businesses, which was much ado about nothing. It was an attempt to pander to the streets, need for the Kmart Corporation to grow, and they were no longer able to grow their business organically, and so they thought if they could grow via acquisition, that would fit the bill. And of course, they weren't managing the home business, you know, their own business very well, and acquiring these disparate specialty businesses, which each and of themselves required expertise, was something they just weren't up for. Kmart also made a heavy investment in the introduction of their Martha Stewart line. Although that was wildly profitable for some time, it ended up with quite an ugly breakup when Martha Stewart quipped to the media about the declining quality of the in-store experience. Which leads me to the next point. By using all of its capital and funds on acquisitions of random companies, Kmart had little left over to revamp its own stores, to restore and revitalize the interior, or to improve the overall shopping experience. They didn't invest in the business. The customers saw stores that were not clean, neat, and friendly, and up-to-date. They were increasingly worn out. They didn't invest in the technology that, for example, Walmart invested in heavily from its outset in enabling the stores to remain in stock, to guiding the merchants to the things that customers were selling, and to uh, ensuring that their pricing was appropriately competitive on a day-to-day basis. They more or less inflated a bubble which they lived in, believing that it would forever suit their needs. 
and that bubble began to deflate. Retailing is a dynamic business like most businesses that require reinvestment and reinvention as determined by customers and competition and changes in the world at large. And Kmart basically ignored what was going on around them as if to say, we don't have to worry about those things. Then came technology. One thing that allowed Walmart to thrive was that early on, they also began collecting customer product logistic data so they can gain deeper insight into what products were moving off the shelves fastest. This allowed them to optimize their inventory. And these point of sales analytics provided them with the expertise to keep a tight product and service mix, giving them a competitive edge. Kmart, on the other hand, did not invest in any of that. In fact, they were really slow to adopt e-commerce during a time when shoppers were starting to make more purchases online. Additionally, they didn't invest in the software needed to manage their supply chain strategy. By the early 2000s, Kmart CEO Charles Conaway vowed to turn things around. The company's scanners were outdated, with none of the purchasing data being transmitted back to the headquarters, and as a result, leaving their buyers in the dark as to what their consumers were actually buying and what should be stocked. Things got so bad, their distribution centers were late delivering the merchandise often, which in turn led to empty shelves. Conway put $195 million into scrapping the old software and then another $1.7 billion to upgrade the store and back office technology. He was going to spend $200 million on high-tech scanners to hopefully bring Kmart more in line with its competitors. It was certainly an expensive ordeal, but one that seemed like an investment well worth the upfront costs if the money was used as promised. That turned out to be a big if. Conway was later accused of misleading shareholders about the company's financials and allegedly spent the company's money on private planes, houses, boats, and other financial perks. I had a CEO who sat on in his corner office on a raised platform as if he was an emperor. I actually got to meet him years ago. He was completely uh, fixated on his own personal success and the wonderment of his company's size and importance. And while he was bragging, his business was basically falling apart. He was eventually more or less ejected, replaced by someone who had no retail chops whatsoever, who decided that the best way to reposition Kmart was to try to take on Walmart on price, something which a whole host of retailers had tried and failed. And that was the village idiot decision that he made, which took them into uh, bankruptcy. Although Conway later accepted full blame for Kmart's financial disaster and was forced to step down, the company was already on a downward trajectory, one that it would never emerge from, unfortunately. Kmart's last door was built in 2002, Ironically, the same year, they filed for bankruptcy for the first time. Kmart would close more than 300 stores and lay off 34,000 workers as part of the restructuring process. And on the topic of management, when Sears CEO Eddie Lambert came into the picture around 2002 and 2003, after his infamous kidnapping, He vowed to merge Sears with Kmart in order to return both companies to their former greatness. 
and in the process, catch up with Walmart. But as analysts, even management had anticipated, Sears Home Goods' focus didn't seem to align well with Kmart's random inventory list. Mm-hmm. And it obviously didn't because in 2018, both Sears and Kmart filed for bankruptcy. They were seized in bankruptcy by a financial manipulator called Eddie Lampert, who brilliantly took them out of uh, Chapter 11 by taking control of their debt and sold some real estate to another less than capable CEO at Sears Roebuck for uh, $605 million. The street looked at the price of those uh, locations and presumed that 2,000 stores would be worth an enormous amount more than the company was, was worth as a newly minted public equity. And so the stock went through the sky and Lampert used that cash and that valuation to essentially buy Sears Roebuck and merge the two, Sears Roebuck and Kmart. He stripped Kmart of virtually any viability they might have had even at that late stage, literally cutting the daylights out of their operating expense and their capital expense. He did the same thing at Sears Roebuck. And so now we have, in the sunset of the business, four stores left of what was probably over 2,200 at one point. It was an inglorious ending for a pair of companies that had once dominated the United States retail marketplace. Despite its once illustrious stature as one of the biggest retail chains in the United States, today there are only scarce hints of Kmart's previous dominance a household name that had been an American staple for over a hundred years, reduced to derelict buildings and sun-faded signs. Kmart is proof that being a cultural phenomenon isn't a business strategy on its own. No matter how popular or big you are, your brand can be still brought down by mismanagement, by falling sales, changes in shopping behavior, and competition and Kmart was hammered by all of this. Their management was so enamored with their success that they failed to realize that a dynamic business, and retail is certainly a dynamic business, has to constantly be reassessed, re-engineered, repositioned, and of all things, completely focused on the behavior of consumers and where they might be shopping as alternatives. And Kmart did none of that. It's not as if Customers have stopped shopping for the things that Kmart stood for. That sometimes does businesses in when they no longer have any viability in their customers' eyes. It's certainly not the case because Walmart and Target sell things that Kmart used to sell. It's a study in incompetence, avarice, and greed. And it's really a shame. So what were the lessons here? First, trying to cater to everyone can oftentimes lead to losing everything. Second, companies must always be innovating. Getting complacent and comfortable with your own success leaves the door open for competitors and can degrade your brand. And finally, merging two floundering companies is rarely a good idea. While many businessmen and women want to believe they can rehabilitate struggling brands, the work is exceedingly challenging and costly. 
After all, it's better to get your own house in order before offering to pay for your neighbor's remodel as well. It takes the brilliance of a few and the very hard work of many to create a viable brand, a brand equity that is successful, that is recognized by customers as a destination. It takes an enormous amount of work and it takes a very long time. But it only takes a very short time for a few people who don't know what they're doing or whose motives are not aligned with the company's heritage to destroy a business. And so there's an enormous number of businesses that have been hollowed out and destroyed by people like Eddie Lampert, whose motivation is so short-term that there can be no success. Special thanks to Professor Mike Cohen for his contributions to this episode and for sharing his research and insights on the demise of the great American retail giant, Kmart. And thank you for tuning in this week to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we all can learn from the greatest mistakes. The Great Fail is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Connect with us at The Great Fail on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that we can continue bringing you more episodes. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. I'm a-